Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It is not on the screen and it's not in your notes, but as we, uh, as we go through this study today specifically, I want to highlight a verse in the New Testament that uh, before we get started, uh, this is like the pregame show. Is that good? Yeah? This is the pregame show to the main event. But no, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, there's a verse in here uh, that I think would be important for us to just Uh, sit on and meditate on as we discuss a very difficult subject. Uh, We're going to talk about forgiveness today. We're going to talk about the spiritual habit of forgiveness. We're going to talk about what it looks like in our lives to give forgiveness for those that have hurt us, those who have wounded us, those who, uh, who have offended us. And oftentimes, when we uh, enter into a subject on a Sunday morning, now, and I'm speaking from experience, oftentimes we can enter into a subject and say, man, this is such a good message. I know who needs to hear this. (laughs) Right? And you start just mentally cataloging the different people in your life that would benefit from this message. And sometimes it's a completely accurate thing to do. For those of you who love to sing and are accustomed to worshiping God on a regular, if not daily basis, last week's message on singing was, it was, it was easy for you, right? Because you're just naturally singing, you're naturally worshiping. Those of you who from a young age or who recently have learned the habit of being in your Bible daily, when we had that message on Scripture, perhaps that was a fairly easy message and you began to think, man, you know who could really use this is my, and then you fill in the blank, right? And sometimes that's appropriate. I don't want you to do that today. 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God. Now, the translation I'm going to use is the New Living Translation, which says this. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I would submit to you that if it has been a long time since you have heard something from Scripture that has corrected something in your life, then either you haven't read Scripture in a long time, or you are ignoring the Holy Spirit as you read it, right? The Bible says here, it is, it is true and it's useful To make us realize what is wrong in our lives, and it corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. If we are reading and studying Scripture, and there's no impact in our life because we got it all together, either we're not reading it well, or we're ignoring the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. So this is what I want us to do. We're going to talk about forgiveness today, and as we do... I want you to think about the person you need to forgive. I want you to think about the people in your life that perhaps you need to forgive. 
I woke up this morning, and as I do on Sundays, I started listening to some worship music. I got together, and uh, while I was getting ready, it was while I was brushing my teeth, for those of you who are interested, um, I thought about someone I had to forgive this morning. It was a conversation I had in the last week. Um, and before you start trying to figure out who it was, it is no one in this room or from our church. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering. But there was, there was a face, a memory, and a conversation I had this week where I was offended and I took offense. And as I was thinking through the message and the notes and as I was brushing my teeth, I thought, my goodness... I need, I need to sit down and I need to pray and I need to release this. Um, I'm hoping that happens for you today. Let's say a prayer and then we're going to dive into this study. Father, whoever it is in our life, you're going to reveal in the next few moments, I believe. I pray that you would give us the courage to lean into that tension we're feeling right in our heart. Lean into that fear or that anxiety that is causing unrest in our hearts, Lord, that whoever is needed, needing of our forgiveness, that based on what we look at today, you would just give us the courage to lean into it, Lord. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The setting for today is Matthew chapter 18. The disciples are trying to outdo one another and so there, uh, the chapter begins with a conversation of who gets the highest rank in God's kingdom? We're going to have a kingdom one day, Lord, and I just, like, where am I in the draft order? If we're going to have a draft of people, am I a first-round pick, or am I, am I, like, in the second round? And what can I do to manipulate the order of when I get drafted or how my ranking is? And in the course of this conversation about kingdom and forgiveness, we see this exchange. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15 says this, If your brother sins against you... Go and tell him his fault between you and him. And what's the next word? If he listens to you, you have grained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, if he, lis if he listens... If he refuses to listen to them, I should say, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, just a quick overview on these verses. This is not our primary text. We'll get there. But this sort of sets the stage. It's the setting. Jesus has given them very, basically uh, this option when someone offends you and you have an offense to someone, you first go to this person. Now, in Scripture, we really have uh, three options on how to respond when we're offended, and two of them are biblical. Two of them are righteous. Two of them are the way that God would love us to respond. There's three different ways we can respond. These are not in your notes, so maybe just jot them down. The first one is we talk to the person that offends us. 
We talk to the person directly. We go right to them and we say whatever is the offense and we work at it in Christian love using all the fruit of the Spirit, love, grace, uh, love, grace, joy, peace, all, all of those uh, characteristics. And we have the conversation and we work it out with that person. So the first option is this. Someone offends me, I go to them and I have a conversation. The second option you can have is you don't go to that person, but you choose in that moment to just forgive them. It's under the characteristics of being long-suffering, to be a constant friend, uh, to be patient with someone. If someone offends you, you simply forgive them. You let them go. We'll talk about what that means in a little bit. But those are the two options that really Scripture gives us. You can go to the person. You can forgive them. If you go to the person, by the way, you're still going to have to forgive them. But those two options are the options. You go to the person or you simply just release it. You forgive them. And in Christian love, under long suffering and patience, you release that person and you forgive them. The third option is everything we want to do. We're, we're going we're gonna to post on it on Facebook. We're going to block that person from our life. We're going to respond in anger, envy, greed, um, selfishness. Um, we're going to tell 12 people about what happened. So those people have negative feelings towards this person. Uh, we are going to be very passive aggressive with them. Um, help me out. What else would we do? Like I'm the only one who's thinking these things. You'd whine a lot, right? These are the things, right? So you can go to the person, resolve it, forgive them. You can just forgive them. Don't even go to them. You just forgive them. Or you can respond in the flesh, we would call it, right? So at that point, again, think about it. He's talking to the disciples, and they've started this conversation with who's going to be the greatest? And then he has this conversation about forgiveness and and what it looks like when someone offends you. And then Peter, at some point, this is the setting of our conversation. Peter, at some point, says, well, how many times do I have to forgive a brother? Right? Right? A brother or sister who hurts me, how many times? Is seven enough? And Jesus replies, basically, seven, hardly. You're barely scratching the surface. Try 70 times seven. In other words, you're going to have to continually forgive this person. That's the setting. Now Jesus tells a story to help them understand this. So let's dive into the story. Matthew 18 Verse 23 says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now the king in this parable expected his servants to be faithful and honorable with their debts. And so he examined their work, he examined the records, and he found out that somebody owed him 10,000 talents. So um, historians and theologians will disagree on how much this might represent. It's somewhere in the value of 12 million and a billion dollars, depending on who you ask. Let's just say it's a lot of money. In fact, what we're going to use for today's purposes is this sum of money. This man owes the king $600,000, okay? There's a reason we're using that number, but maybe jot it down. $600,000 is how much this man owes the king for today's purposes. Again, most people think it's way more than that, but for today, we're going to use $600,000. Clearly an unpayable debt 
for this man. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and a payment still had to be made. So the man was not able to pay. So the master sold all the debtors, right? He, he sold them, the family, all that he had. Uh, this would not satisfy the debt. Slaves at their top price were sold at a talent each. So they were sold for much less for that. Yet it would bring a little matter of a uh, little sense of justice. That's what the king's looking for at this point, right? You have this insurmountable debt. I want a little justice. I want you to learn what you should have learned. I need you to learn from your mistake, basically. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. So the servant is being very uh, passionate. He's being very honest. Would you please just have patience with me? I will pay you everything that I owe, which is quite a request. It doesn't really make sense. He spoke as all if he needed was a little bit more time right? Give me a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks isn't helping with this debt, right? There's nothing that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks that's going to help you absolve this debt. So the king gave his order. The servant gave a request. And again, Jesus is telling this story to the disciples. Verse 27, out of pity for him. Actually, let's read this verse together. It's a very important verse. We're going to come back to it at the end. Verse 27, ready, begin. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. All right, we're going to read it one more time and just, just listen. think about the disciples hearing the story. Think about this king that has all of these accounts. Think about the vast sum of money that the servant owes. And think about the king's actions here. Ready, begin. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, and forgave him the debt. Verse 28, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. What is happening here? So the same servant, how much money did he owe for today's purposes? $600,000. He owed the king $600,000. The fate for him was he was going to be enslaved, his family, everything he owed. On top of that, he still had to pay off the debt. That was the judgment that the king made. And then the king said, uh, out of pity for him, right, he canceled the debt and he freed him and forgave him the debt. Now, the servant is going along in his way, and that same servant went out, and he found out another man, another servant, who owed him how much denarii? 100 denarii. Seized him. In other words, grabbed a hold of him, began to choke him and saying, pay me what you owe. Here's the difference in the amount of money. Regardless of how much money we think it's worth today, in, in, in ancient, uh, in antiquity, this is, the, uh, uh, this is the comparison. The servant owed the king $600,000. The servant owed this servant the equivalent of $1. One dollar. 
he had, be, he had been forgiven $600,000. His family was going to go into debt, his, his, in slavery, I should say, and they still had to pay off the debt. He was forgiven of that. And the next thing you know, he runs into a guy who owes him $1. And because the gentleman owed him $1, he seized him, began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. Is that reasonable? Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Doesn't that sound familiar? Uh, Jesus, can we just say this first of all? Jesus is an amazing storyteller. Right? The way he's able to talk to everyone and just weave a story that paints pictures and teaches lessons and prick hearts. It's amazing. So he says, uh, have patience with me and I will pay you. Very familiar words. I see what you're doing, Jesus. The man who owed the smaller debt used the exact same plea and promise. Verse 30, what happened? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Everything okay? Everything okay right here? Okay. I just want to make sure. He refused the debt, went out, and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So here's a guy who has been forgiven $600,000 and goes out and puts a guy in jail for owing him a buck. Now, Jesus is talking to the disciples on the subject of forgiveness. So look at what verse 31 says. When his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Verse 32. And his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should not... You, oh man, here we go. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers and he should pay all his debt. Can I share with you the hardest verse of the story? Let's read it together. Ready, begin. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's no mention in the parable of the first servant's conscience bothering him about his conduct. And it's, it would seem that his fellow servants recognized the wrong that had been done Others could see the evil of his conduct, the unreasonableness of his conduct, and yet was blind to it. He was blind to his own conduct. How many of you can recognize that sometimes we are painfully and to our embarrassment very blind to our own selfish, sinful conduct? So the servant was to be delivered to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And when the master heard of this, he was understandably angry because it was just wrong for a man who had been forgiven so much to then be so unforgiving. We looked at the setting, the story, now the significance. 
the principle is very clear this morning. God has forgiven such a great debt owed to us. I'm sorry, let me read that again. God has forgiven such a great debt that any debt owed to us is absolutely insignificant in comparison. No one can possibly offend us to the extent that our sins have offended God. Now, the principle must be applied in the little things done to us, the little offenses that we go through in life, and also the very great big ones that seem to alter the course of our life. God has forgiven us such a great debt that any debt owed to us is absolutely insignificant in comparison. Now, we have um, what we would call very good reasons why we don't forgive people. We do. We have justified it for ourselves. We have explained it to ourselves. We've justified it to the level where we believe with all our hearts that we have very good reasons not to forgive someone. We're going to unpack two of them. And while they may be good, while we may have talked them into a, uh, talked ourselves into these reasons, as your pastor may I lovingly remind you that they are unbiblical reasons to withhold forgiveness. Number one, we choose not to forgive another person who sins against us until they are properly repentant. Right? Since God does not forgive us, us, right? God does not forgive us unless we are repentant, right? Is that an amen? We must be repentant for God to forgive us. We even have the duty, we have told ourselves, since we have not, we can't be uh, forgiven unless we're repentant, that we have equated our relationship with God to our relationship with others. And so we tell ourselves, well, I'm not going to forgive them until they're sorry enough. We, we have the duty, we have told ourselves, to withhold forgiveness, to judge their rep repentance, because it's ultimately in their best interest to do so. This thinking, even if it is meant well, even if it is something you've told yourself for years and years and years to come to a grip with how someone has offended you, this thinking is incorrect and dangerous. The parable shows us why it is incorrect. God doesn't forgive me without my forgiveness. Therefore, I must withhold my forgiveness until people are properly repentant. The problem is this. We do not stand in the same place as God in the equation. When we require people to re be repentant for us to give them forgiveness, we have to understand we're putting our place in the place of God. And that is a dangerous place to be. Church, if we are going to require people to be repentant to us, for us to give them forgiveness, we might as well say, I am also their Lord and Savior. Because you're replacing yourself with Jesus. We cannot stand in this equation as if we were God. Because otherwise, why would we need a Savior? Since we have been forgiven so much, we have no right to withhold forgiveness. We are the debtor forgiven, the almost infinite debt. Why would we hold on to the small debts others have forgiven or others have on us? It's hard, it's difficult, but this is the walk 
that God has called us to walk. So we would say, well, I mean, I ain't going to forgive someone unless they're sorry enough. By the way, which scale are we using? What sorry scale are we using? What repentance scale? Is there a matrix at home and you think, well, this amount of time versus this amount of forgiveness, which this amount of, uh, of hurt that they've caused and, you know, they haven't, they haven't quite shown, you know, they, they only cried for like four minutes when I was with them that one time and I really need a good 10-minute cry before I forgive them. Like, what, do, what are we using to evaluate how repentant someone is? We are putting our place in the place of an infinite wisdom-filled God and it's a dangerous place to be. So we can't just say we're going to withhold forgiveness until someone's repentant enough. The second reason I think that we withhold forgiveness, that's an unbiblical reason, is this. We should not forgive someone unless we are ready to enter into a relationship with them. Let me explain what we mean by this. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you are now uh, enabled and required to trust them in your life. I want to handle this very carefully, very delicately, but very clearly. Forgiveness and trust are two different journeys. Forgiveness is your, uh, your personal journey to release them from the offense that they have caused you. To trust someone after that offense, after that forgiveness, is a separate journey altogether. We're going to talk about that. But we cannot, uh, we cannot require uh, ourselves to be ready for a relationship in order to forgive, because in many cases, you may not ever be ready for the relationship. Right? Yeah. So forgiveness and trust, it's not in your notes, but you may need to write it down. Forgiveness and trust are two different journeys. It's important to understand that a distinction can and should be made between forgiveness and trust. True reconciliation of a relationship can only happen when two people are involved. You know how many people it's involved for you to forgive someone? It's just you. It's your journey to forgive someone. It doesn't require repentance on one or both parties in order to forgive them. Trust does, right? Uh, Reconciliation does. Relationship absolutely does. But we're talking about forgiveness first. So the example is if... um, Be careful what kind of example I use here. If I let Darren use my golf clubs... And I come back, and he zips them all up, and he gives them back, and I go out on Friday to hit some, a bucket of balls, and I go out, and the driver head is missing. Right? It's just gone. And I call Darren, and I say, Darren, what, what happened to my driver head? He goes, oh, yeah, broke it. Sorry, bud. And hangs up. Right? I can tell you, as God is my honest witness, I will forgive him in that moment. I probably will not let him use my golf clubs again. (laughs) Do we see how that's different? I'm not going to charge him for a driver. I'm not going to uh, expense it. Not that the church would reimburse me anyway. 
um, I'm not going to try to get any kind of money back, right? I'm going to say, oh, man, that happens, man. Yeah, that happens. Okay, thanks for the heads up. Click. And when he wants to borrow golf clubs next week, I will call Dwayne and say, hey, Darren needs to borrow some golf clubs. Would you please help him out? No, I would not do that. But do you see what I'm saying? There, there's the initial forgiveness, but it doesn't mean I go all in on whatever part of my life that relationship has been impacted on. It's a very silly illustration. And you have some serious wounds that you need to put in that equation. If there's, if there's, if there's abuse, I'm sorry to say, we're called to forgive that. We're also called to be very careful about the relationship we have after that forgiveness. If there is mistrust, if there is, um, yeah, you fill in the blank in your own heart on what that wound looks like, but as there is offense in your life, we are called to forgive it. And then we evaluate what trust and reconciliation looks like afterwards. We do not need a partner, relationship and reconciliation with forgiveness to extend it. And some of us are, are, are withholding forgiveness because we're very scared to enter into a relationship. Some of us are withholding forgiveness because we're very scared to be hurt again. Some of us are withholding forgiveness because we don't want to put ourselves in that position again. And what the Bible is asking us to do is look at this as two different journeys and say, first, you have been forgiven so much, and now you are called to forgive this offense. Second, you are called to move in trust and reconciliation and forgiveness and, or I'm not sorry, forgiveness, but a restoration of relationship on a much different scale that we'll talk about in another message moving forward. But for today, we just want to talk about why are, why are we holding on to this forgiveness? Why aren't we allowed to give it? And I think a lot of times it's these two reasons. Number one, we haven't deemed the, pers the person worthy enough. They haven't been repentant enough. Or secondly, we have told ourselves, man, I can't get into a relationship again, so I'm not going to forgive. I want you to reevaluate what forgiveness looks like based on what Scripture is telling you. Here, here, here is the harsh truth about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the evidence of being forgiven. Our ability to forgive is the evidence of truly being forgiven. And habitual unforgiveness may show that our hearts have never really been embraced or touched or uh, impacted by the love of Jesus. Let me show you James chapter 2. It says this, There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Do you remember the verse at the end of the story that I said is the hardest verse in this whole, uh, whole, whole uh, parable? It's this, I'll quote it. It says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
So what does this mean? What is God saying? Is he saying that if I have a hard time forgiving my brother, I will end up in hell? Is that what he is saying? Well, in Matthew 25, there's a similar kind of passage, and it's just as perplexing, and it's talking about the judgment day, and Jesus basically says this. He says, uh, you didn't feed the hungry, you didn't care for the sick, you didn't care for the homeless, you didn't visit the prisoner, there's eternal punishment waiting for you. And if you read those verses just in context, you would say, so if I didn't feed the hungry, if I didn't care for the sick, if I didn't provide shelter for the homeless, if I didn't visit the prisoner, I'm going to hell. It looks like Jesus is saying, you go to heaven if you care for the poor, and you go to hell if you don't. And if you forgive, you go to heaven. And if you don't forgive your brother, your sister, you go to hell. First of all, if that's the case, then why did Jesus die on the cross, right? Um, I want you to think about it this way. Imagine two trees in an orchard of, full of trees. And you go out to Brozai, you go out to Lanny's, or you go out to one of these places and you're picking fruit. And there are two trees uh, in the orchard. And if you are picking, I don't know what's gotten into me lately, but I really like apples lately, by the way. Can I tell you the biggest lie in all of uh, America? Red delicious apples. Why did we name them that? They're not. You can call them red apples. I grew up on red delicious apples, so I think I just assumed that all apples were delicious. According to whatever standard red delicious apples were, and those were gross growing up, so... But I've been really loving apples and the different varieties Libby has been picking out have been great. Let's say you go to an apple orchard and you see two trees in the orchard and you're going to go pick. And one of them is full of beautiful, awesome apples, right? And they're just delicious. And they, uh, you, don't, you don't need to do anything out but just wipe them on your shirt and just eat them. You go to the next tree and the next tree is huge and big and doesn't have one apple on it. What would we say about the two trees? We would say something like this. They're both apple trees, but there's something wrong with one of them, right? The fact that one tree has apples does not give it life and validate the fact that it's an apple tree. Rather, the fact that one does not have apples gives us pause for concern to say there's something wrong with this tree. It's diseased. It's dying. There's no fruit. There's something wrong. So what Jesus is doing, and he's trying to paint this picture for us, is saying, if there is forgiveness in your heart, it is the evidence of something that's already true. You are forgiven. And because you're forgiven, because you're an apple tree, there's forgiveness in your life. There is apples in your life. And if there's no forgiveness in our life, and we withhold forgiveness, and we are holding on to these hurts and wounds, Jesus is saying, there's something wrong here. There's supposed to be forgiveness, but there's not. Do you see how Jesus is painting the picture? He's asking us to consider, is there evidence of you being forgiven? 
So church, is there evidence of you being forgiven? Because I'm here to tell you there is no better way to tell whether or not you have a real relationship with God than whether you forgive. Have you been forgiven? Have you been restored to a relationship with God who loves you, who died for you, who cares for you? Then we are called to forgive others. There's no better sign of the real spiritual condition of your heart. So how do we forgive? Verse 27. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. How do you forgive someone? This is how you forgive them. Out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. That phrase at the beginning of the verse, out of pity for him, at first when you read it, it might seem like, oh, you took pity on someone, so uh, there's this hierarchy in a relationship and you're a little better than them, and so you have pity on them. It doesn't, that's not what that means. Out of pity for him means this. Uh, you can identify with where they are. Right? So the king, when he had that servant and he owed him $600,000, there was something that happened in that king's life, some moment in that life, where the king was able to say, my goodness, this guy thinks two weeks is going to help. This poor guy, I'm about to enslave his whole family. He's going to have to pay this off for the rest of his life. I remember when I was in his scenario. That's taking pity. And then what does it say he does? The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. If I had a list of heroes in the faith, Corey Ten Boom would be on that list. Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch watchmaker she worked with her father, Casper Temboom, and her sister, Betsy, as watchmakers. They also worked together to help many Jewish people escape from the Nazis during the Holocaust in World War II by hiding them in their home. They were caught. She was arrested and sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her most famous book, The Hiding Place, is a biography that recounts the story of her family's efforts and how she found and shared hope in God while she was imprisoned. I cannot recommend highly enough that you take the time to read The Hiding Place. She would travel the world to tell her story after her release, and she tells the story of what happened just a few years after the war at a church service in Munich. You're going to hear her voice. She has a pretty strong Dutch accent, which I could listen to all day. But she tells the story of meeting someone years after she was in the concentration camp. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man. That was one of the most cruel aufseers in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world. Also for my sins. 
I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5 5. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Mitch, you want to help me real quick? Come up here, bud. I just want to illustrate what this verse means. Come on, stand with me, bro. If there's an offense between two brothers, this is normally a brother and sister, two sisters, whatever, in, in, the, in the body of Christ we're talking about. If there's an offense, normally what happens is this. The person, is it okay if you're the person that offends me in this scenario? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I just realized how awkward that is. In this scenario, Mitch is going to be the person that offends me. He has not done so today. Um, This is normally how we treat this. Right now, we are on evil playing field. We're on the same level. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And what happens is when someone fails us or offends us, immediately in our mind, we push them down a step. Right? And for a while, we're okay. I can still have a conversation with him. And we're okay. But it always feels weird to me because I'm always just, you know, he's just, he hasn't measured up to me yet. And when we withhold forgiveness, we push him down even further. And now it gets really awkward, right? Because now Mitch has to strain to have a relationship with me. And I'm always, again, uh, in my spirit, metaphorically, however you want to pick, I'm always talking down to him. I'm always expecting something out of him. And I'm just waiting for him to be repentant enough, right? 
or I'm waiting for him to prove himself so that I can trust him again. So this is our relationship in our, my mind's eye. Read this verse together really quick, or not quickly, but once again, ready, begin. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Out of pity for him means this. It doesn't mean out of pity for, oh man, this, no, you stay there, bro, not yet. Um, <laughs> like, uh, it's too bad he's way down there. This poor guy. I mean, one day maybe he'll work his way up. Go ahead and try to get up. Go ahead and try. One day he'll try. One, one, one day he will. All right, stay right there. This is how we act, right? Out of pity for him means this. My dear brother has failed me. And I know what it's like to fail a brother. So I'm going to stand with him there. I'm going to be with him where he's at. And together, we're going to restore relationship. The master of the servant releases him. What does that mean? It releases the debt and now it forgives him. This is what God is calling us to do. Go ahead and sit down. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, as we consider forgiveness, this is a big, heavy topic. And for some of us, this means you know, something between a husband and wife that might have happened this last week. For some of us, this means something between you and an employer that has been going on for months and years. For some of us, this means something that is uh, between uh, you and your parents. And you're grown, and you have a family of your own, and there is still something with your parents. For some of us, it is, uh, it is, it is catastrophically big. It is abuse that has been levied against you when you were in a position not to defend yourself. For some of us, it, was, um, it, is, it is unforgiveness we're holding for someone who's already passed away. We don't know how to release it. For some of us, it is unforgiveness on a catastrophic level. And you, who have forgiven us for so much, are asking us to release. You're asking us to take pity and identify with someone. Identify with someone who, whose need for a Savior is no bigger than our own. And so we're going to stand with them and restore. Um, I'm challenged by this, Lord. I feel so unworthy and unqualified to speak on such a hard, holy subject. But I am grateful for the grace of God that allows us to lean into the tension of unforgiveness because of a Savior who has forgiven us. So, Lord, we're all thinking of someone or a relationship or a, a situation in our life. In this moment, give us the courage to let go. Give us the courage to release the debt. Give us the strength to say, it is not for me to get even. I am going to release this debt. And then, Lord, would you please give us wisdom on if a relationship should be restored and then how it should be restored. Help us not equate uh, trust and reconciliation with forgiveness. Uh, 
Help us to understand that there's two different journeys there. And then help us also not to wait for someone to be repentant before we offer forgiveness. But allow us, you know, trying to take the place of God there, but allow us to just stand there and say, we, I have been forgiven so much. And by God's grace, I'm going to forgive you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.